So, here we are with Louis Blair. How are you doing, my friend? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm all good. How are you? Um, how's quarantine treating you? How's training going? Um, it's going about as well as it can do in this time. You know, it's it's not ideal, is it? I mean, just doing as much like fitness and strength training and stuff like that. Obviously, um, massively missing grappling, uh, MMA in general. It's pretty hard to do any sort of MMA training socially distanced. I don't even have a punch bag or anything. So I've, I've strapped a couple of uh, a couple of focus pads to a tree. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but um, yeah, just doing whatever I can, really. I don't remember that part in Karate Kid, but I'm sure it's somewhere in there, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's what I wanted to get into, though, your sort of strength training and stuff, because like following you on Insta and everything, so you've got your Muay Thai Bad Company, you've got Scramble Academy for Jiu-Jitsu, and you've got like Firehouse in Leeds, where you're doing all this like, Olympic lifting. I'm thinking, what don't you do? So what what came first out of all those things and everything else? Um, out of those things, uh, jiu-jitsu Was came first, actually. <laughs> I, um, yeah, well, like, before... <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> before I MMA and any of that, I, uh, I was a gymnast originally. So I started gymnastics when I was six, um, and I competed in that and did it on and off and stuff like that and trained until I was about 18. Um, and now I guess at that age, like, all my mates were going to uni, and well, not all of them, but... A lot of them were going to uni and stuff like that. I really didn't want to go to uni because uh, it just it wasn't really for me. I'd actually been training to uh, go into the fire service in college. And then, like, the government changed and there was loads of public sector cuts, so that wasn't really an option. So I got to 18. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And a lot of my friends were going into Cirque du Soleil and stuff like that. So I thought, all right, sweet. I'm just going to go do what I've been training and, like, go do it around the world and do shows and stuff. So I did that until I was about 22, 23. Uh, so about four or five years, I managed to get to some pretty cool places, do some cool shows. Um, and it was actually while I was out there that I had my first ever, I can't even really class it as an MMA session. I was with one of the guys who, um, he'd done MMA. He's from Edinburgh originally. Uh, shout out Elliot Diaz. And he was like, do you want to, uh, do you want to come down to this local gym and like, hit some pads and do some bits and bobs like that. So, yeah, why not? Something a bit different. Um, so he went down, hit some pads, and, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I was, I was so bad. And then we did some rolling. And um, I guess, you know, when you're athletic and you've done sport and stuff, you've sort of got this preconceived idea that, you know, it's just wrestling. You've just wrestled around with your mates and stuff like that. I'll be fine. So I was like, yeah, why not? It'll be a good laugh. Um, I, just, I got I got submitted in like a jokey role about 30 times in about 10 minutes. I could barely breathe and stuff and you realize how bad you are. And I just thought, you know what? When I'm done with touring and gymnastics and stuff like that and get back to Leeds, I really want to try this out and give it a go. I think it'd be pretty fun. Um, about a year after that, I sort of did my last tour and came back to Leeds and found a local club. And yeah, sort of the rest, rest history, I guess. So... Let me break this down again because let's appreciate something you just said so casually. Like, all my friends are going to soak the Soleil as I do. Unfortunately, I'll give it a go. Like, completely nonchalant. Like, oh, you know, this absolutely like breathtaking performance show. Yeah, I'll, that's what I do. It's fine. Just like <laughs> nonchalant. So, talk to me about that then. So, <laughs> so this nonchalant, like, you know, phenomenal. What, yeah. Of so, how did that. What was talking to me about well, the show, my show routine? This kind of thing, like, in itself, it's mental. So, where do you begin with these shows? Like, what? Yes, it's uh, it's a bit of a weird one, really. I guess I'm so used to it. It's just like a, a part of my life. I don't really think of it as like a, a massive thing anymore. I say when I say like all oh, my friends were going into Cirque du Soleil, I just say Cirque du Soleil because it's like by far the most famous ones. There's like a lot of other companies that do this. Uh, you know, I won't say the same sort of thing, but a similar sort of thing to Cirque du Soleil. You know, it's a show and it's got acrobatics and stuff like that. Um, and one of the gyms that I've been doing some training at, they're quite a a big, almost a big feeder into Cirque du Soleil. A lot of their gymnasts, once they've done competing, they'll go on to join Cirque du Soleil or uh, House of Dancing Water, which is another show uh, that's quite big in Macau in China. So, yeah, when I sort of decided I wanted to do that, because, you know, at 18, when you don't want to go to uni, I knew some of my friends had been out doing a show called Pirates, which is a like a pirate-themed acrobatic show in Mallorca. And I thought, that sounds pretty cool. But also, being 18, I saw them over there, and all they were doing 
is training all day, doing shows, and then going out partying all the time. And not throwing them under the bus or anything, but it looked like a pretty sort of fun lifestyle. So I was like, oh, yeah, why not? That'll be something really good to do. So I applied for a few different shows. It's, it's sort of just like applying for a job, really. You send them your CV, you send them your show reel, which is like a, just a short video of like the skills that you can do and stuff. Um, and I got a response back from a company that said, yeah, we've got a show uh, for like seven or eight months in Germany. Do you want to go there? So I said, yeah, sure. That show was, that was a strange experience. They basically put us in a house in like the middle of a forest in like surrounded by this theme park with like nothing else for miles. Um, and yeah, we just lived there for like eight months. We did a show, two shows a day, sometimes three. There was like no health and safety over there though. It was like the lowest of the low in like the show terms. Uh, I was surprised not more of us got injured actually, but that was the first one. So I did that. And then I came back um, for a couple of months and then I got offered another show in in Spain, um, just outside of Barcelona. So I did that for a year. Um, then I went to Dubai for six, seven months. That's where you know, I had my first MMA session. Uh, and then after that, I joined a company from Nofit State. We're actually, they're from Wales, um, but we were doing like a European tour. So then we started... We started with our first stand for a few months, actually in Cardiff, and then went to, where did we go next? Somewhere in Belgium, I think. I can't remember. And Prague, and then some of France. We just, we just toured around Europe for a year or so. Um, and that was my last one for a few different reasons. Injury, just doing it for a long time, wanting to do something different. Um, but yeah, that's sort of my, my circus life in a nutshell. Just around Europe. <laughs> yeah that was cool that was really cool it was a really cool experience you know it's just around Europe it's just, everyone's done Prague it's just same thing I remember where we went to be honest <laughs> it was cool it was really cool it sounds amazing so again I want to dig more into this for anything else so regardless of the routines and stuff like the shows like what's the break in between and like surely fatigue because like going all out in these shows and then doing it like the next day sure you completely burn out then and your mates like getting absolutely smashed afterwards and then doing it again i couldn't imagine it worse than being hung over and trying to like you know <laughs> do all the bits <laughs> i couldn't do it now i was a bit younger then it wasn't you, you can recover from a, a night out a lot faster than you can you know, when you're a bit older but yeah I'm, yeah i mean yeah 26 um <laughs> well, when i was 27 a couple of months like 27 but no it was yeah you know, you do, you do burn out a bit, but um, I th the thing is with gymnastics, like when you're competing, not when you're doing shows, is you train six, you know, I, I got to training six days a week by the time I was like eight. So you do that for a long time, you, you, you know, you've got really long training days and you're training hard and stuff like that. And it's very different shows and, you know, same as MMA, sort of the opposite thing and we train for a really long time to compete, you know, three or four times a year. Whereas when you're doing shows, you're almost doing the equivalent of what competing would be every day and not doing that much training. But in terms of like the fatigue in your body, it's the same sort of thing. You just sort of, you get used to that volume of training and that workload. And when it becomes your job, you sort of learn how to look after yourself uh, and just sort of make sure you last. But eventually that was like a, a large portion of, why I finished doing it is because after, you know, what, 11, 12, 13 years sort of training, competing, and then four years touring, it was about then that the fatigue started to set in. But no, you don't get too tired, really. You sort of, you do a show, chill out afterwards, have a couple of drinks, you know, and then just do the same again. I think a lot of my, like, principles now on what people think about overtraining and stuff like that, is like based on what I've done before. And I'm like, overtraining, I'm not going to go as far as to say it doesn't exist. But I think you can really, really build up your tolerance for volume and like your tolerance to a high workload. I think it does come with time, but I don't think there's like a, a definitive, you can't do this without being overtrained. Um, especially at that age, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you can do a lot. Into your late 20s, really, your 30s. 
Now, there's a few things I want to get into. We'll jump around timeline just because it's easier. So, regards of your like personal training, your fitness knowledge, how much is that from like written qualifications versus your own experience in different sports? Like, what's your I don't know like, college qualifications opposed to just years of experience? Do you know what I mean? I um I don't think anything that I do or teach or train or anything has come from my qualification in it. It's um to be honest, I think the bar to be a personal trader is set way too low. It's for lack of a better word, you know, a weekend course. And it's spread out over a few more weeks, but they come in and they ask you if you know the difference between like a bone and a muscle and then they give you a certificate. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound too arbitrary. And there's a lot of good trainers out there. But if anyone ever tells you that having a personal training qualification makes you a good personal trainer, they are having you on massively, I think. And there's lots of different providers. The thing is, when a lot of people, when you want to become a PT, a lot of people are going to go for the course that says, hey, look, we've got a 99.9% pass ratio. Because you know if you're paying money to get qualified in something, what you want is to come out and be qualified. A lot of people aren't going to go for the one that's like, oh, we're going to train you really hard and teach you to be a great PT. People just think, oh, I'll, I'll deal with that, you know, once I'm qualified and whatnot. Right now, I just want that certificate that lets me go and work in a gym and charge clients. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really remember my PT costs. I was with 10 other people and... I can't say I've really kept up with a lot of them, but I think like there's only one of them that's still training people, and I think it's sort of like a part-time thing. Uh, it was very, very, very basic uh, what we went over there. They kind of just made sure we weren't going to like kill anyone in the gym. Made sure we were kind of going to keep them alive. But past that, pretty much everything I... And it's, it's not from my own, pers- my own personal experience. Like A lot of it does come from that. But I do a lot of my own reading and my own research, and there's constantly new studies coming out and, you know, it's, it's a never changing field and you've got to keep up to date with it because personal training now and what we know now about the body and how it works and how it responds to certain types of training is very different and, you know, a lot more advanced than what we had five years ago, 10 years ago. So, you know, it's something you've got to really keep up with. Well, I'll disagree with that. It takes two weekend courses. You need one weekend course for the fit level two fitness instructor, then one for the <laughs> level three personal trainer. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's true. And I've got that's those you know, somewhere in some cupboard somewhere because when I did mine, I thought this is very similar to the way you described it. It's pretty, you know, okay, this is your bones, this is your muscles, this is how you do a, a routine. There you go. <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really teach you anything about how to be a Yeah. No, it's, it's, they're really not very good. <laughs> they're not, but, you know, that's what people want. People just want to be a qualified PT. And then you get out there and you think, well, Dad, I never learned how to, like, speak to a client. I never learned how to give them a consultation. I never learned how to – just all the things, all the things that I now have to do on a daily basis are things that I didn't learn. I've never had to um, explain to someone what the muscle is made of. And I'm not saying it's not good to know. It is. It is something that you do kind of need to know. But there's definitely things that if I were to design a personal training course, it would be very different. Ooh, there we are. There's a question for you. How would you design your personal training course then? What's the priority in the, um, in the Louis course? Louis PT? Yeah. I guess to be a good personal trainer, <laughs> that's a tough question, isn't it? That's a, yeah, you set yourself up for that one. I'm that. <laughs> definitely. Um, I think what it comes down to is the results that you get for people. I think if you're not getting them the results that they want, then you're not a good trainer, and that's all it comes down to. That can involve a lot of things. There's a lot of very knowledgeable trainers that might find it difficult to explain what they know to their clients and, and pass it along. And um, you know, I, I can't remember who originally said the quote, but. I think someone said, if you can't explain it to a three-year-old, you don't know enough about it. And that's something that's always stuck with me. And, you know, your clients are often, they don't need to know the nitty-gritty that you're going into. You know, I, I want to, if I'm designing a, a plan they're supposed to stick to for the next 12 weeks, it should seem like the most basic thing in the world to them because they're not coming to me to get a, a degree in physiology and anatomy. They're coming because they want to 
lose some weight or build some muscle or both or something completely different. So I guess it's what it comes down to is just the results you get. And I train people a lot more about how to teach someone. And just the actual putting together a program, it's not the most difficult bit, I don't think, you know. Everyone, not everyone, but, you know, most people are going to understand general progressive overload. Most people are going to understand general, you know, caloric deficits or surpluses. And when 99.9% of your clients either want to gain muscle or lose fat, they're kind of the two main things you know, you need to know. When you do know them, you know, anything more than that, it's, it's just getting into sort of finer details. But the thing that I think most people struggle with is going to be passing on that information and that really is more of a teaching cost than natural personal training cost. But I guess that's sort of what you are as a PT. You are a teacher. You're teaching someone as well. You don't want your clients to be with you forever. I mean, maybe some PTs do because, you know, then you can get more money out of them. But ideally, a client's going to come to me. They're going to train for a bit. They're going to learn how to train on their own. And then they're going to go. And they're not going to need a personal trainer anymore. Maybe they'll check in every now and again. Uh, but I don't, I don't need to keep my clients for years. It's just unnecessary. Let them fly. <laughs> Let them leave the nest. Let them fly. Let them go off on their own. Yeah. But that is a really interesting point, the way you phrased that. And that when I asked you about how you'd want to design your perfect program, the way you prioritize that is being able to transfer that information. And now, there's an interesting jiu-jitsu concept that always sort of, I don't know, I hate always, it's a conversation topic that should, like, lower ranks be able to teach. But in the same breath, you get black belts who over-explain things and the beginners won't be able to appreciate it the same way. Whereas if you get a lower belt explaining simple positions in a lot less detail, it's easier to absorb, I guess. Because it's all well and good going on about the different like microfibers and the way you can like you know break them down with different sort of you know rep ranges and progressive overload. But if you say, okay, if you lift this really heavy stuff, but not for as much, you'll get stronger, but take longer breaks. But if you want to get bigger arms, you know, don't lift as heavy, but do more of it. And, all right, I'll do that. You ain't got to worry about. Yeah. Free personal training advice. 100%. Exactly. There you go. Putting me out of a job. This is it. It's, um, it's that same with jiu-jitsu. Um, <laughs> no, you don't, you know, lower belts, some of the best things I've been taught have been by lower belts. And I, my main coaches do happen to be higher belts, but um, I've been taught little, really, really valuable bits of information by other white belts, by blue belts, well, other blue belts, by white belts, um, anybody, I don't know. <laughs> um, any, you know, a lot, everyone's got something to offer, for the most part. I don't know if I say everyone, but, um, you know, the vast majority of people have got some sort of piece of information or look at something in a certain way that you probably haven't looked at it. And I think that can be a bit of a minefield. Um, and I think it happens both with jiu-jitsu and with personal training, is that you do need to learn I guess almost where to draw the line because there are a lot of people who have got something to say. And although you can take value in a lot of things, there's a lot of things that it's probably best not to listen to and take value. And that is difficult. And I think that is just going to come with time and experience. And, um, you know, at the same point, I don't know specifically, but there's probably some higher belts out there that are teaching in some ways that maybe at least don't apply to everyone, same as there's some very good personal trainers who might not have the best ideas or things that don't necessarily work for everyone. Um, I don't think you can always say this authority figure is always right and this person who might not have a qualification is always wrong. The eggshells. Do my best. Very carefully worded. I know, yeah. Sorry, let's move on to make it a bit safer now. So let's go back to where we were. So you were going just across Europe, you know, just to, you know, these big shows, you know, it is what it is, you know, it's nonsense. everyone does it, it's fine. So then you go to Dubai as you do and have your first MMA session as you do. So then what? Are you training MMA there onwards or is that just a sort of one-off thing? No, it was just a one-off. We just went to this, um, this little local gym um, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't even an MMA class, it was just me and my friend and he was like, we're going to hit some pads and we're going to do some rolling. And I'd sort of, I'd seen MMA, I'd, I'd been keeping up with the, not keeping up with, but I'd seen, you know, Conor McGregor fight and stuff like that. It was around all that sort of time. So it was sort of, I had seen, I knew what MMA was, and I thought, oh, this will be cool. Um, 
But I went about a year after that uh, without training MMA at all or without really thinking about it. I was still just touring, doing gymnastics at that point. And it was only when I finished with that all and I went and did like a, I just got a normal job at a bar while I sort of worked out what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, and I thought, you know, I want to be keeping up with some sort of sport. And I remember thinking, oh, that jiu-jitsu thing was pretty cool. I think I actually wanted to do MMA originally, but I was looking at some of the local MMA gyms and they just looked like horrible. Like, and maybe, maybe it's MMA marketing, but I, just, I don't want to, I didn't really want to go to a gym that, you know, had anything to do with barbed wire and bulldogs as part of its branding. <laughs> no pitfalls. I was just, yeah, honestly, I was just, I just didn't, I just didn't want that. I was like, I'm going to go in, and it's just going to be loads of lads from probably from the area that I grew up in that are there all just trying to fight each other. And I didn't really, I just, just didn't really want fun. to do that. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what I thought it was going to be like. Um, and now, you know, some of the gyms that I train at, people probably think that's exactly what they're like. Um, but they're not, you know, they're full of some of the nicest guys I've met. So, yeah, after that, I went down and found, um, I started training with the Leeds Uni Jiu-Jitsu group because I thought, oh, you know, these guys are all going to be harmless. They're all, you know, English lit students. They're not going to hurt me. Um, and then, yeah, I started training with those. But I started with those just at the very end of the uh, university, not season, that's not the word for it, uh, the university term. So everyone was going home for, uh, for summer. And my current coach, who I've basically just been following around ever since, he was like, oh, we all train at uh, Gracie Bar Leeds. Why don't you come train here while the uni session's off? And yeah, that's how I got into it, really. I mean, actually, I had trained MMA before that. I had one session at Leeds Cage when I was in college. So I was 15, 16, how old you are when you start college. Um, and I went down and absolutely hated it. It was horrible. I remember thinking, this is just not for me. I'm never going to do this again. And then four years on, I decided to try it again. <laughs> or five years, six years, however long. So when you went there then, was that purely the gi? Was that no gi? Was that MMA at all? Uh, which one, sorry? When you went, not, not the cage on the Maurice, the, the last one after um, the Gracie, Gracie Baja, you said Gracie Baja Leeds. Yeah. Um, I mean, they offered mainly gi. But when I'd been going to the uni sessions, it was all no gi. And I just didn't have any real, I didn't really want to do gi. I, was, I guess it's still been in the back of my mind that I wanted to do MMA. And also, I guess when I started jiu-jitsu, some people were like, oh, you know, you're, you're athletic, you know, you're fast, stuff like that. And I sort of thought that having a more athletic base would lend itself better to no gi than gi. So I just stuck with no gi. And yeah, Gracie Barra was a lot more gi. Um, but Liam Can, who uh, was my coach and still is, he was starting to look more into MMA and he was sort of a, a lot more into Nogi at that time or getting more into Nogi. Uh, so, yeah, I never really had any interest in Gi. I was just doing Nogi. I've actually only ever worn a Gi once in my life. I've trained a Gi once. Is that great in by any chance? No, no. I, um, I, when was it even? Maybe at GB Leeds. I think I just borrowed a gi one time, and I essentially just did no gi with a gi on. Um, and I remember just thinking, I'm just, I'm getting tangled. I can't move. This is horrible. I just, I just didn't really enjoy it. Maybe if I went back to it now, I'd like it. But at the time, I just remember thinking, I felt a lot more. A lot more free doing nogi, and I guess it's a lot easier to just wriggle out of things. And maybe that was my best escape back then. So, having to be technical probably it probably would have helped me be more technical. Um, but I just I just didn't enjoy it. But on that sort of subject of having those attributes and then having to adapt to technique, how much time did you spend still doing the flexibility sort of stuff and the strength training that kind of thing? Did you sort of put that by the wayside? Did you be quite consistent with that when that was all going on? Um, strength training, yes. I've sort of always done some sort of strength training. Um, you know, even if it's just going to the gym and lifting a few weights, you know, to look good in summer. I've sort of always wanted, yeah, exactly right. Curls for the girls. Um, I've always wanted to do something like that. So I've always been into some sort of strength training. I haven't really trained any sort of flexibility since I was touring. Um, but yeah, I've done it for so long that I'm still probably one of the more flexible you know guys in mma are you know i, I don't 
do rubber guards. So I think some of those guys are probably more flexible. Um, but, I'm, you know, if you're flexible enough to pull up a triangle and kick ahead, then that's all you really need in MMA as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I haven't done a lot of flexibility training. I was, I was still really big on the strength training. I think a lot of sports neglect strength training for the first, I don't know how long, a, a long time. And when a lot of the sports where there's this idea that technique will always be better than any sort of physicality, they really, really believe that. And there's, I've seen a lot of sports go through this and they're like, technique, technique, technique. Um, and it gets to a point when someone just starts getting a bit stronger and all of a sudden, shock horror, they start doing really well. And then slowly, everyone catches on, more people start doing it. Um, so I've always thought being strong and being athletic will help me whatever sport I go into. I didn't know if I was going to stay with jiu-jitsu or MMA or anything like that. But I knew I'd always do some sort of activity and some sort of sport. And I thought being being strong is probably always going to help. I can't really think of a time that it'd be a hindrance. That is interesting. There's always that <laughs> butthurt jiu-jitsu argument. Oh, no, no, you're being strong. It's not technical. It's not technical. It doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. But yeah, it's a bit like, mm, did it work? <laughs> it, it does count. It does count. Because of the rules and it worked, I think it, I think it counts. Whether you like Anything it or not. Yeah, exactly. And I just, it's, I get the idea behind the technique will always be better than strength. Because in some situations it definitely is, but I think that's been misinterpreted as don't be strong, which I think is like the really wrong thing to take from it. I think you should definitely train technique, but if I do the same technique with the exact same, you know, level of accuracy as someone who's way weaker than me, I'm just going to do it a lot better. I'm going to, my chokes are going to come on faster. I'm going to hit harder. You know, being strong will never take away from your technique unless you choose to use that strength instead of using technique. I think it's one of those, like a rule of thumb for like, especially beginners as well, that like prioritize that. Don't cross your feet when you've got someone's back. Those kind of things like as like, yeah. as like a once over kind of just do that as a rule. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. I think as long as we keep that kind of mentality with it, otherwise we get stuck in those kind of, I don't know, toxic habits of, you know, no leg locks, no, no strength training, just pull guard and, you know, spin around, do what you want to do. So regards of yeah, your transition yeah. to MMA then, because obviously you started that, didn't like it. Then back to you know happy place of jujitsu and you know good fun and ogie not getting punched in the face. What happened in that transition point? When did you get back into MMA? Um, well, it was quite a it was a really long time between when I first went into you know like I say when I first tried MMA when I was in college I was fifteen and when I went back to jujitsu I was twenty three, so maybe I'd forgotten how much I hated it by the time I went back. Um, so yeah, I. When we'd gone to GB Leeds, there was one guy, I think, who was competing in MMA there. Um, and then Liam, who was my coach, was sort of talking about doing it. I think he'd, be, he'd competed before, but in back when Amateur had B-class and C-class, I think he'd done a, a C-class fight and a B-class fight. I think he was thinking about doing an A-class. Uh, but at the same point, his sort of best friend housemate and training partner mark lee who was also training at gb leeds he was he was currently fighting in mma and the more i sort of spent time with those guys i thought oh you know i'll why not you know i'd only been doing jiu-jitsu four or five months at that point so i wasn't super invested into just jiu-jitsu and nothing else at that point i was still sort of looking for sports that i enjoyed and i think they were going to just a tie boxing session so i thought oh, i'll go along I'll see if I enjoy this. And I didn't really. I thought it was pretty pretty boring. Uh, I wasn't a massive fan of it. I was like, you know, they keep on telling me to like not hit hard and stuff. This is, what's this about? I thought if I hit someone, I'd want to hit them hard. I just didn't really click with it, to be honest. I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, so I sort of carried on with just jiu-jitsu. And then at some point, I realized that I did want to fight MMA. I'm not really sure what made me make that decision. I think... I'm just very competitive, and once I started to get slightly better at jiu-jitsu, I thought, well, this is great, but anyone that does MMA is just going to tell me they could beat me in a fight, and I have to say yes. So, I don't know, maybe I just did it just to, I mean, that's always going to be the case, but I'm not, I can't honestly remember what made me make the decision to start MMA. 
I, I initially just went to do striking so that I could strike long enough to be able to get a takedown and submit people. That was the whole plan. I really enjoyed wrestling. Um, I had quite a good base and balance and the bits of wrestling that we did do, I really enjoyed. I sort of excelled at quite early. So I thought, well, I don't really need that much stand-up. I'm just going to just dabble in it just a little bit so that I can, you know, throw a jab before I do any of my grappling. Um, and yeah, it all sort of went from there. That old school sort of voice, Gracie, kind of MMA opposed to jiu-jitsu. Just sort of Pretty much, l- yeah. launch yourself over there and just try and grab them. <laughs> that was exactly it. That's all I wanted to do. I was like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll faint a couple of punches. Uh, and then, yeah, just go for a takedown. That's about it. That's that's all I wanted to do. I didn't really want to have anything to do with striking. I'd have loved to see, like, your and Liam's, like, early day sparring, just, like, jabbing and both of you just collapsing, like, pulling guards straight away. <laughs> oh, like... I've got some videos here from pre-training for my first fight, and I was just looking over them recently, and it's it's honestly hilarious. I was so, so bad. It's, it's, it's almost embarrassing for me to watch, but, you know, I guess everyone goes through that at the start. When it came to your first fight, then, did you cut a lot of weight for it? Like, what were you walking around at, like, normally? Um, now I walk around about know, 77, 78. Mm. Um, I think back then I was a little bit lighter. I think I cut from about 75 to 70. So I didn't cut a lot of weight. That was a really, really small weight, cl- uh, weight cut. sorry. But I did it the complete wrong way. I I had no idea about weight cutting. The only time I'd cut weight before that was for a previous jiu-jitsu match, which, again, I did completely bad. Gassed out in my first match, had a horrible experience. It wasn't good. I I basically, I've I've got this vivid memory of me being sat in a hotel room in Manchester the night before this match, um, my jiu-jitsu match, and all I had with me was was a small Tupperware um, with like a few rocket leaves, and I decided that was my meal the night before. And basically, my, my weight cutting was just starve yourself. I didn't I didn't know what weight cutting was. Bro, I was still training at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had absolutely no idea. I you know I was on the the rice cake and rocket diet. So I did that, performed really badly. Uh, and then my first MMA fight was yeah the same sort of thing. I had a maybe a little bit more knowledge, but not enough to really do any sort of successful weight cut. It was still way too much sort of starving yourself. Um, and I'm not going to, I don't you know, make excuses for anything, but I definitely felt a lot more tired in that fight. Probably for a lot of reasons. Your first fight, you're going to get more tired. Mm. Um, yeah, so it wasn't a big weight cut. I just did it really badly. Oh, God. I, I could just empathise that my first fight was like that. It's just bro science starving yourself. Just, just oh, it's hell. Absolutely. Idea. Sean, who's one of my... Um, really good friends and sort of one of my main training partners. I don't really remember this. And I think in some ways he's exaggerating it, but he will constantly go on about this memory that he's got of, I I think I was about a week out from that fight. And he said, he looked over and I was just on my own, not really looking at anyone, just talking to myself about bread. (laughs) Oh, I think this happened. I think I was possibly thinking about, uh, I think I was saying something about, I can't wait to have a sandwich or something. But, um, yeah, no, I cut out all, all carbs and all starches and everything like that. So I could see how I would miss bread. It makes sense. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea about weight cutting. That's like the biggest mistake I made for that first fight was not learning how to cut weight properly. But I guess you've got to make these mistakes, you know. I'll never cut weight badly again because of that. So regards to like coming from quite a field where in gymnastics where you're like you know successful i mean it's not competing in the same sense but you're still like you know putting on shows you're doing well you're in this sort of group you're almost comfort zone for lack of a better choice of words then you go into something completely alien and then you end up coming up short in these competitions how do you feel in that sense do you take it well are you quite sore loser with it or do you how do you deal with it all um i'm not a good loser i uh, um i'm not a sore loser in the sense that i'm like I never look for excuses. I never like, oh, that my weight cut was bad, or you know, he did this, or the judges, you know, nothing like that. I, I definitely wouldn't class myself as a sore loser. After I lost my first fight, I didn't speak to anyone apart from my girlfriend at the time, and that was only because I kind of had to really. 
for about three weeks. I didn't speak to any of my training partners. I didn't speak to, I barely spoke to my parents. I, I basically just, I was really like down and really, really like almost depressed about it. I definitely didn't take losing well. I, I don't think it was the losing. I think it was the underperforming um, that I was really down about. Um, I don't know if it's because I'd been successful before that I always expected that. But I just think I've always been able to perform under pressure and not really feel that pressure kick in. And I think that was the first time I'd felt like a pressured situation and I'd, I'd not done better. I, I'd normally always performed better in competitions than in training. Mm. I performed better at shows than in training. So that was really strange. And to this day, I still find it difficult to think about exactly what went wrong in that fight i think there was a a large mix of things i don't think i can put it down to one specific thing but no i don't think i took that loss particularly well i think i'd take losses if i were to lose now i think i'd take it a lot better with the experience that i had but um i probably had this idea that that fight was going to be easier than it was and i guess that's probably one thing that i've learned is just don't ever expect a fight to be easy so after that then how long until you had your following fight because since then you've had some better results but yeah more a sense of what was your redemption sort of period was it like oh do you know what fuck it's never gonna do it again or was it like okay back to the drawing board let's you know sort this out uh, i'm trying to think exactly how long it was um i think it was maybe about a year and a half until the next fight it would have been less time than that probably, but there was lots of stuff outside of work. I was I was really outside of training, sorry. I was really, really busy with work. Um, I wasn't getting I wasn't training how I thought I should be training for a fight. Um so it took quite a while. I don't think I thought I'm gonna come back at this stage, I'm gonna come back at this stage. I definitely even afterwards I knew I wanted to fight again even immediately after losing, even when I was really down. And it was never so much that, oh, I need to redeem myself. It was more, well, you know, I still like MMA. And if I like something, I have to compete in it. So I guess I either have to stop MMA or carry on competing. That was pretty much my mentality behind it. Um, but I thought, I'm not going to compete until I'm training consistently again. And I couldn't train consistently until I sort of got into a better workplace. So at that time, I said before I got a job at a bar, I had sort of been working my way up into uh, into management and I was managing a, a new place that was opening that was taking, you know, 65, 70 hour work weeks. Um, and then I decided I wanted to do more with MMA and I wasn't really getting ha you know, any sort of happiness from just earning more money and spending loads of time doing what I hated. Um, so I just quit that and got like a little part-time job in a coffee shop because I thought then I'll have time to train and I'll get to drink free coffee. So it sounded pretty sweet. Uh, and then it was about that sort of time that I thought, all right, I can train loads again now. Let's start to think about another fight. And I got matched before um, before the next fight. I got matched, but it fell through. Um, someone Someone pulled out, I think about three or four months. I think it was the show previously to the one that I did. So, yeah, about three or four months before I fought, I was supposed to fight. Um, so I was already in pretty good shape from sort of training for that one. Uh, so it seemed to make sense to fight on the November card. I mean, so you've gone through all this sort of, I don't know, when it came to getting back into the fight itself and talking about the sort of the day of almost, right? did you have any pressure on yourself to redeem yourself or did you treat this as a new fight in its own right? That fight, God, that was a, a very strange time. Um, I just, you know, there's always that thing when you're 0-1 that, well, you know, you've lost one, you've lost your first fight, it's not great, but it's whatever. But if I go 0-2, that means then I'm going to have to really have the pressure to win my next one. Then I'm 0-3. And it almost starts to play with your mind that you mm. need to win this just to even it out and I think in the amateurs you 
your record, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it kind of shouldn't matter. You know, you're going to have losses in there. You're going to have wins unless you're fighting journeymen the whole time. If you're really competing with good, other good competitors, you shouldn't worry. But um, I did. And I, you know, I wanted to win because I didn't want to as well. A lot of my friends it had got to that point where I was training so much that my friends outside of MMA just knew me as like the MMA guy. And I was like, if I lose this fight and I've lost two fights in a row and they all see me as the MMA guy, like, what am I? Like, I, 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 it's horrible to say I've put all this time into this sport and I can't even win a fight. So that's not what I think, but that's how I was thinking back then. I think that's a lot of what was going through my mind. Um, so, yeah, I probably went into it with quite a lot of pressure. I was also, and I thought my opponent, and I still sort of think he, he's definitely from a much he was from a much better gym and again you know the gym doesn't make the athlete but that put a lot of pressure on it um so yeah there was a lot of a lot of that going into it it was in some ways like the worst camp ever um which doesn't ever help you your confidence going into a fight um how was the worst camp out, ever so. then was that like stuff outside of the training or what yeah it was a bit of a nightmare so i started my camp in poland um, I was with my girlfriend. She, her family originally from there. Uh, and I'd been doing sort of pre-camp, like getting fit and doing some runs over there. And I started training over there at a gym called Academia Guerrilla, which I guess is Guerrilla Academy translated, uh, which is really awesome. Like, Yohanny and Jacek trains there sometimes. They've got loads of pretty high-level Thai boxers, um, loads of good MMA fighters. So I started training there. It was awesome. We came back. and At this point, I was in about six weeks out from a fight and me and my girlfriend we've been together for like three years we broke up which was like it's just not something you want to go through when you're six weeks out from a fight and you live together and all that sort of stuff oh, God. um so that was a nightmare yeah i know that didn't help that was that was just less than ideal um and then i like two, two weeks later i sublexed my jaw in training so where it dislocates a little bit and then pops back in so I couldn't, like, bite down on anything. And then, like, a week after that, I broke my nose in training. Not badly, just like a little chip. And, you know, I if I should have pulled out of that fight, like, realistically. I 100%, if I had an athlete that was where I was a week out of the fight, I would have told them there's no way they're stepping in there. And I think I definitely told... I wouldn't say I lied, but I definitely withheld some truths to my coaches because I thought they would probably ask me to pull out. And I felt like I really couldn't at that point because um, I'd sort of built it up in my head as, like you say, this this comeback fight. Um, but I was going in thinking I cannot take any sort of hits to my jaw. I cannot take any sort of hits to my nose. And from not eating, from being sad going through a breakup, I've already made weight like three times this camp by accident. So I wasn't in the best physical or mental state, really. I was pretty fit, to be fair. I've been running a lot. Um but I, I probably wasn't in the best shape going into a fight. You don't really want to go into a fight thinking don't you physically me. can't. can't <laughs> don't hit my, yeah, don't exactly. Hit my face, please. <laughs> so, so it's just not what you want to be doing. Um, yeah, yeah. So that probably wasn't a very good camp. Absolutely horrible. I was, yeah, I'm going to ask this question now. I was going to save it for later, but I might end up forgetting. But at then, it was really important having that status of being a fighter because that's what you identified yourself as. You weren't Louis whoever you were an MMA fighter first and that was what you tried to achieve that identity because you know being um, one of the amateur never happens ever like you know no one ever loses amateur fights everyone already wins so now who to you is Louis? Uh, Louis is just Louis and that's like a real nothing answer and a cliche answer but I definitely over time have not I've sort of learned don't let anything outside of who you are define who you are because everything can go away like if you're the gymnastics guy the mma guy if you're defined by your money your career whatever like all of that can disappear and it really leaves you like questioning who you are so i feel like touch wood i won't if i were to have to stop mma um get a different job you know everything outside of everything that i do and that i sort of am disappeared and changed i would still be the same person and i think it's taken me quite a long time to 
be comfortable with that and sort of learn who I am. Um, but I think it's something that a lot of fighters especially should do and a lot of athletes in general really because um, it can go pretty quickly for one reason or another and I think that's why a lot of athletes compete longer than they should I think that's why a lot of them make comebacks when they probably shouldn't Um, it's because when that one thing that you feel defines you is taken away you're sort of left feeling very empty and like you don't know who you are Um, and I think feeling like that after my first fight was a, a big part of me thinking well I need to get comfortable with who I am uh, because that's the only thing that's going to stay there all the time you can't really rely on anything else to define you now that's a perfect answer in the sense of the awareness of not having to label yourself a boxer in this corner and that what does just being this mean? Oh, does that mean I don't like this? I don't like that. And this is all I know. This is all like who I am. And again, you get so many people like the journeyman, the people who compete longer than they should. And it's, you just really, I don't know. You just feel a bit bad really. Cause that kind of, yeah, yeah they just haven't got that. I don't know. Awareness that there's more to life than just that. And this is where that pressure comes from because your friends enforce it almost subconsciously. Cause like the way you said, your friends will know you as that. And you think, Oh, I guess I must put a picture of me on Instagram doing some form of sparring or some form of anything. And I keep doing it, getting in that habit of doing that as well. I'm thinking, no, get rid of that. No, that's the wrong reason. You did it for the wrong reason. Thinking, fuck's sake. <laughs> People don't want to see yeah. you awkwardly posing with your shirt up trying to look hard as nails. They already know you're hard as nails. They don't need to be reminded. <laughs> no, 100%. And um, I don't know. Like, I was never really trying to prove anything to myself because I was like, yeah, everyone in the gym knows that. I'm a decent MMA fighter and I'm, you know, I'm doing well there. So I don't really know the people that I was working with. I didn't even like most of them. <laughs> like, they were such knobheads. Like, you know, they weren't like, it was just like guys in a bar that I'm like working with. I don't know why I was trying to like, not even impress anyone, but you do, you just get into that cycle of, if you don't have anything else to talk about, and especially like a lot of people don't meet a lot of MMA fighters. So what you end up speaking about loads of the time is, oh, When's your next fight? When are you fighting? Oh, are you going to win? And especially when the only part of MMA they see, especially at that time, is, you know, Conor McGregor's rants. They just think that, they don't realise that, like, there's just as much sort of, you know, on every night, someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. Um, and yeah, it does, it puts you under a lot of pressure, which is completely unnecessary. And I don't feel any of that anymore. And again, it's just so sort of maturity to sort of deal with that and understand that side of it. Because most of these people aren't like malicious and like they don't see what no. goes on behind the scenes, but they don't give a shit. Why should they? Like well, they're not the ones no. doing it. They haven't got to care about the weight cuts. They ain't got to care about getting beaten up in tomorrow. They haven't got to care about the rest of it. I mean, why would they? They just want to know the end result. No. <laughs> they just want to have a mate that's a M- MMA fighter who's knocking people out and stuff like that. That's all they really care about. The it's their own status. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, I don't really bother with all that anymore. Cage fire. I hate those fucking people. They're the worst kind of people. Anyway, moving on before I wind myself up too much. What's your sort of plans post yeah. um lockdown? What's your like preferences? Do you want to fight MMA pretty sharpish? Do you want to do grappling comps? Do you want to do more PT? And what's your I don't know. What's your preference of next sort of thing to do? Um, all of the above, really. I obviously I'm going to be carrying on with my PTing. That's um that's my job. That's my career. So I'll be continuing with that, um, hoping to carry on building that up and just do more with it, keep on doing what I'm doing with that. I'm pretty happy with where that is. Um, As far as competing, I like competing in things separately. So I definitely will compete in MMA, but I want to compete in uh, jiu-jitsu, boxing, and Muay Thai. I'd like to do them all like consecutively. I thought that'd be pretty fun to do like one every weekend. Uh, but I don't know if that'll work out. Just like I don't know if I'll be allowed to fight boxing and then MMA a week, uh, my tie a week after. Uh, but if I am, I'd like to do that. I think that'd be pretty fun. Um, I'll fight MMA, but I need like a full camp. Um, so uh, it depends when we get out of lockdown. Because I haven't trained, I haven't sparred, obviously, for the last, like, four months or something now, however long we've been in for. And that'll take a little bit to get back. I'm hoping it won't take that long because I've been staying relatively fit and and stuff. But it's going to take a little bit just to get your sharpness back and stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I, I want to fight MMA hopefully quite soon um, after lockdown. Not not too soon, but yeah, look look to be getting in a camp quite soon after lockdown if everything else is going well. Well, that's the sort of ideal situation, isn't it? When um things get back to normal, everyone's in a similar boat. Everyone goes up a weight class. Everyone sort of gets it. They're like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> puppy well, I'm actually go- I'm going down a weight class. <laughs> oh yeah, you join us. February. Yeah, something we've been yeah we've been talking about it for a a little bit of time now. Um, my my last fight again, it was I had a dropout and the person that replaced them. Uh, so I was supposed to be fighting at lightweight, and the person that replaced them said uh, they'll do the replacement, but they want to do same day weigh-ins. I was like, all right, sound. Um, so I, I weighed in on the day at 69 kilos. And I was like, that's the best I've ever felt. It's the best I've fought, the best I've felt all camp. And I was just like, you know, if I can weigh in on the day at 69, I may as well just do day before 66. Um, I don't really have any issues with cutting weight now. Now I've, I've learned the wrong way to do it. So it does seem like quite a big cut going from like 77 to 66. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it. Well, it's as long so, as you're yeah. like you know planned and scheduled, but not trying to like starve yourself down. As long as you've got. No, no, it'd be fine. If I could, if I'll do exactly what I did the last time, and if I can hit 69 kilos the day before I water cut, I didn't water cut for that um, that fight or anything. I didn't get in a sauna once. I didn't get in a hot bath once. You know, I didn't put on a sauna suit. I just had a good diet. Um, did a little bit of water loading. Nothing major. So. I can do that for next time, and if I hit 69 um, the day before weigh-ins, I'll just water cut down 66. That'll be fine, and I'll definitely have reach advantage. It'll be nice. How tall are you? Six foot. I've got really long arms there. I measured my arm span, um, and it's six four. It's actually on topology is six six, but that's not true. I shouldn't say that. I should let people think it is. But no, yeah, I've got I've got a pretty long arm span. Well, this is it. According to topology, I'm a bantamweight, and I'm five foot eleven apparently. But you know, I'm six two and a featherweight. But that's neither in nor there. <laughs> I don't think the rankings are normally. I think they just look at you and they're like, "Yeah, I look about six foot. Why not?" It's, I don't know how they, I've never been <laughs> measured by anyone, so I don't know where they've got their numbers from. I've got no idea. Anyway, where can people find you, my friend? Um, uh, on Instagram, I'm at Louis Blair PT. Um, that's about it, really. Check out my fights on YouTube. Just have a look, Louis Blair. If you're on there, one of them's pretty popular. One of them's less popular because no one wants a submission. Um, yeah. That'll all be in the description. Today's episode was brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FC MMA twenty at checkout for twenty percent off on all products on MaulerMMA.com.